Welcome to Choices, the podcast that allows you to simply be. I'm Vidya Bellor and my job is to help you think about things a little bit differently, to help you cope with those challenges in life that may be affecting your happiness or performance and hopefully provide you with some clarity in your decision making. Today we will be talking about dealing with grief. Have you experienced a loss recently and don't know which way to turn? Are you having trouble coming to terms with losing something or someone that's so familiar? In this episode, we look at the five stages of grief, what they are, how to deal with them, and how to make peace with the situation. I hope by now, as we approach episode 10, you're realising that the essence of my podcast is to talk about all aspects of our life, to talk about all aspects of the human experience. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if I sat here week in, week out and talked about all the happy, clappy kind of topics that seem light, seem trivial and weren't so heavy? Perhaps it would be nice, but it would be incredibly unreal and inauthentic. And I hope that each week, actually, what you hear is a way in which to handle those deeper aspects of our human condition that may cause conflict with a sense of lightness of touch, a sense of hope, a sense of optimism, that whatever our experiences, we have choices in the way that we may choose to experience. And today is no exception. As with you, I look at loss and grief. And how we handle it. Loss is quite simply the fact or process of losing something or someone. Grief, as we're talking of today, is the intense sorrow or sadness we feel with the loss of a loved one. Ordinarily, I think in society, we find talking about death a bit awkward. Sometimes we don't know what to say or how a person may be feeling. Words seem sometimes so clumsy. Sorry for your loss and my condolences or sympathies. They don't quite cut it. Whilst being so respectful by their formality, they can sound so distanced and so removed at a time when the person in their experience of loss and grief is perhaps feeling such depth of emotion, such rawness that... Formality and the respectful words seem uttered with an air of futility which is felt on both sides. The pandemic actually, in this way I feel, in this strange way, has paved a different path because there isn't one of us that has been untouched or unaffected by loss in some way, shape or form. Though our experiencing of that loss has been on a different level for each of us, be it the physical loss of loved ones or people we may know, our routines, work, school, college, university, perhaps the loss of financial health and security, the loss of employment, the loss of connectivity with others in a very human and spontaneous way. Ultimately, something has happened which has affected us all. We experienced a collective loss, a loss of certainty, 
over people and things that we may ordinarily have taken as a given. And actually this might pave a very different conversation around our experience of loss and grief in the future. This year so many people are working through grief and I thought today it may just be really helpful to talk a little bit about the stages of grief that we may go through. A Swiss-American psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, wrote in her book on death and dying that there are five stages and as we are all unique, some stages may not be experienced, perhaps experienced vaguely and others may be a sticking point for some. First, shock and denial. That wave of disbelief and almost a numbness where you're hard-pressed to access any feeling at all because you can't believe the situation, that they're gone and you'll never see them again. Then may come anger. You're angry at the world. How, how could they die? Why did they have to die? Beginning to access those feelings and that depth of emotional pain. Perhaps you're feeling a, a guilt that you're alive and they aren't. Being angry is a means to redirect the overwhelm and intensity of that emotional pain. And in this anger, you may feel that you're left behind feeling all this pain. Perhaps seeing others in pain as well as a result. And perhaps in this stage... You're questioning how any benevolent higher power could think this to be fair. The next stage is bargaining. Feeling a vulnerability over the situation and feeling this helplessness. And you try to regain a sense of control over the situation by a way of reasoning. So in this kind of phase there's lots of what if I had... If I just, then maybe they would still be here. Again, this gives the means to deal with that emotional pain by implying that you have a sense of control over the situation. Because having that sense, it makes you feel better. And then there's this stage of depression, the quieter stage of grief. Because it's not as loud or outward in the cycle it's more inward and and there's a there's a brooding with that it's where you begin to allow yourself to feel the void and the emotional pain without being in the thick of anger and bargaining and in this time you get acquainted with the feeling without being able to reason without being able to change it or fix it. And actually this is the period that I tend to see people in my practice because this period can just vary for different people. Some people feel stuck here when they come to see me. And it's not that there's this want for things to necessarily change in the way that they feel. Because something about being in this part of the cycle, they're in full recognition that they can't control any of it. But they want a better relationship with their emotional pain and they'd ideally like to begin the process of 
accepting how things are, even though it's perhaps not how they wish for things to be. And then there's this other phase, the, the, the last bit really, that, that is this continual phase in the process, that's the acceptance. There's a resolution that's reached with emotional pain. There's a reconciliation, if you're spiritual, that this is how it is. And trust is kind of regained in the belief that there's an order that you're not in charge or control of. And this was supposed to be, no matter how cruel and how unjust it has felt to lose this person. It will sound like I'm so fortunate to have known this person had them in my life and they will always be in my fond and happy memories. And that person can say that with a sense of peace. Many in this latter stage make use of their emotional pain and the grief that they're experiencing and channel it for betterment, greater causes and acts of service. We only have to consider the likes of families like Stephen Lawrence's or Sarah Payne's tragic cases of pain and grief and yet the capacity they had to educate and to create a momentum for change through their loss and grief. And as I talk about five stages of grief, it all sounds very process-driven. But for most who I help regarding their grief, they feel the physical feeling of that grief in their hearts, in their chest, You know, in fact, the other day I was with a young girl that had come to see me about some other issue, which we'd sorted actually through that a few weeks prior. And it was to be our last scheduled session. But I was aware in this week that she'd sadly lost one of her close friends. And in our session, there was no mention of this from her for at least 20 minutes. Not until the moment I chose to mention her heart. At that she just burst into tears and shared with me a bunch of feelings she was holding and carrying over this new situation she was facing. The grief over loss never leaves a person. Just the way that you relate to it changes over time. And now with the pandemic, how we have worked through grief has really been affected, even down to those last rituals and necessary closing ceremonies that we need to carry out in order to say goodbye to someone. And yet, life rolls on, whether we want it to or not. So how do we deal with grief and loss in such times? And is loss always contextually negative? I thought it best to speak to someone who has her own experience of loss and grief to share with us today. Alex Hughes is a virtual business manager. I had the privilege of helping her and she's here to share her experience. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Choices podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Vidya. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to it. I want this interview chat to start with a celebration of an important person in your life, Alex. So tell us about that person. Gosh, Vidya, there's so much to say, but ultimately he was my dad. Uh, and I had an extremely close relationship with him. And he's someone I miss deeply every day. And I knew I would. So my early memories of my dad um, were of an always smartly dressed man uh, with shiny shoes. They were always brogues, matching tie and hanky, uh, brill creamed hair, 
a big watch, a signet ring and manicured nails. He was a loving, loyal, well-respected man who didn't have any enemies in his life. Everyone always wanted to be around him. He had an infectious laugh and he absolutely adored my mum. They were married for 61 years. So that's quite an amazing thing these days. And it seemed wherever he went, um, he was recognised by people. Um, Even on holiday, I remember we went to Cornwall, deepest, darkest Cornwall. And we were on the beach and somebody came up to him and they (laughs) knew him. It was like, wow, how do you know my dad? This is like amazing. Um, So just to briefly tell you who he was, as a as a career uh, when he was young he was a junior clerk for a local constabulary constabulary in buckinghamshire he joined the metropolitan police force uh, in bow street and he worked many many years at new scotland yard in 1965 was on operation hope not um, which is winston churchill's funeral and he worked all the sieges uh, in london so balkan street siege iranian siege and the libyan siege which is where yvonne fletcher was sadly killed in 1984 um, he retired at the, at the ripe age of 55 as a Deputy Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police Force. But in true Maybank style, his name was Edgar Maybanks, he didn't finish there. He did another eight years as a um, Chief Commandant of the Special Constabulary, which is where people volunteer for the police force. He finally retired and lived happily in Weybridge and then by fleet and then finally in a care home in Walperston View in, uh, near Guildford with my mum. And I bring my mum into it at this point um, because she was disabled for 25 years and throughout this time he supported her and looked after her until she died in 2016. So both my brother and I and brother sister and I um, you know basically have the the attributes of our loving parents running through our veins and um, we're eternally grateful for that. Oh just gives you a brief synopsis. He's He's done so much in his life. Yeah. Yeah that's the tip of the iceberg but yeah. yeah, I hear that. So tell us in March last year, the beginning for of lockdown, what happened? Beginning of lockdown for us was the 8th of March 2020. That's when it all began. So that was the last time I actually saw my dad in person. Uh, we went to his care home uh, to give him his birthday presents a, a little bit of advance time. And we talked in depth at the time about COVID and really none of us knew what lay ahead. His last words to me on that visit were, whilst holding his hands, were, keep those lovely girls, and that he's referring to my daughter, Sophie Nella, at that point, and Mike, my husband, and you're safe, yourself safe for me. So I said, of course, Dad. And I held his hand and kissed him goodbye. And in true Maybank's um, tradition, we always go back for a second kiss. I don't know why. We always kiss, <laughs> say goodbye, then go back for a second one. It's quite bizarre. And I'm not sure why I did on this particular occasion, but I left his room in the care home and I glanced back. And what I saw was a man in his wheelchair leaning over towards his bed to pick up his iPad, uh, probably to watch the next episode of his Netflix series, which he was always <laughs> recommending things to us because he was always watching Netflix. And I think he was just, he was, and we were totally oblivious what, what lay ahead from that day. So that was the 8th of March. On the 18th of March, it was his 87th birthday. Um, it was a busy day for him with lots of celebrations in the care home and cake and sherries and all that sort of thing that goes on when celebrating um, birthdays in care homes. And that evening I spoke to him and I couldn't understand a word he was saying. His speech was slurred and we joked that he'd had one or two, two too too many <laughs> too too many <laughs> sherry's that day so I was very concerned and I called the care home and um as a result the care home staff went running and uh, uh, to cut a long story short he'd had a massive stroke that day now who's to know whether that's because he missed us he was busy or whatever caused that but that was the day um and from that point on until he died in May uh, we just had then glimpses of this 
strong man um, in the shadows of the, the stroke that was overtaking him at that time. And we had agitated conversations and we couldn't understand him. And the care home staff were amazing, but they were struggling to understand him too. And it was it was incredible watching his demise through a ground floor care home window because at that point we couldn't go in and see him. And the only way of seeing him was through his window. And we were lucky that it was on the ground floor and therefore we were able to see him. So the words to describe that situation were things like emotional, really frustrating, heartbreaking, angry, shock and disbelief. And I called him several times in the last week of his life. And many times we dashed down the A3, see him through that awful window. You know, we were shouting outside the window so that he could hear us or talking on a mobile phone. So there was nothing really personal about talking to him in that way. And on the last but one day of speaking to him, obviously, I gave him permission to take his journey to my mum and that felt weird not not having to sort of break it through the window so that that was really particularly tricky Mm. and then uh I remember it specifically three minutes past three on the 12th of May my phone rang and the care home staff um called and they actually called to say thank you for the brownies first of all and, and and then said Alex I'm really sorry he's gone and there was silence both ends of the phone and all I said was I'll call you back and that, that was the moment he's gone. An incredibly difficult time, hey? Yeah, very. And there were no words or... No. It's just a feeling. I hear yeah. that. So how did this already sad news, you know, impact you and your family in this, in this crazy time, lockdown? Oh, gosh, it was... It, well, I said earlier that I, you know, I kind of prepared myself for it. And I always told myself that, you know, I was ready for whenever it happened. But I wasn't ready for it in these circumstances. And nobody's ready because even when it happens, it's still a shock. But I just, it was trying to compute the circumstances, which was really, really difficult. So luckily, because of COVID, my husband and both my daughters were at home on the day that we got that news. And so we were able to hug and share this news together, the four of us. But I had to then tell my siblings over the phone, my sister and my brother, and that was incredibly difficult to do, even though they also expected it to actually tell someone over a telephone and not actually say in person was increasingly difficult. And, um, you know, my dad, as you can imagine, had already planned his funeral. He had what he called a D-Day file. So in there were <laughs> things like, um, you know, all the hymns, um, the, the um, readings. It was going to be in Westminster Abbey, uh, who should come. Um, and, and it would have been a huge thing. And um, we ended up with a funeral where there were three people in the actual um, crematorium because um, many people weren't allowed to go. And we had a Zoom wake, which was interesting, with 70 squares on the screen with multiple people in each square. So, you know, going to a Zoom wake and listening to people talking about your father was quite interesting, actually, because at a normal wake, you would probably go to someone you knew already. But I was listening to people that I didn't really know who knew my dad before I knew my dad. And so that was really interesting having a Zoom wake under those circumstances and listening to very old people and very young people give their feedback about my dad. So, you know, the the funeral was a very difficult time and we got through the three weeks from the moment he died in probably military or should I say um, kind of police style, but we did get through it. Um, And listening to those people who were talking about my dad before I knew him really made me think that I wish I'd known him earlier in his life. I mean, you see pictures and you hear things, but you think, gosh, I wish I'd met you. I wish I was with you when you were younger. Mm. (laughs) It's just one of those things. But so in answer to your question, really, 
yeah, up until now, it's been a roller coaster ride, I have to say. So obviously, we've had COVID and all the things that go with that. But more importantly, how how you deal with grief or how we've dealt with grief, particularly in our family, has been very different. So when my mum died in 2016, it was a very different type of grief. It sort of came out fast and furious and emerged quickly. And I think we didn't get over it, but we dealt with it faster because we had to look after dad who was left Mm. behind. Whereas this time, I would say, instead of emerging fast, it's leaked out. The grief has leaked out. And why is that? I think firstly because of COVID and because we weren't the only person who lost someone. There were thousands, millions of people have lost people in this time and in terrible circumstances where they're in ICU beds, et cetera. So, you know, there was that going on. And I think we held it in. And I think we held it in because there was so much going on. There was also Black Lives Matter that that happened at a similar time to when Dad died as well. So, So I think sometimes these things usurped our grief and we we had to push it back slightly yeah and isn't it those things that are going on externally um as you say they usurp the experience and almost they belittle your full expression or what you really want to fully express out loud because as you said oh well you know many people have lost people in this time but the truth of it is your dad was your dad and that's that's meaningful to you and should be fully fully expressed and i i guess this time in during the pandemic we've really lost that that that's also a, a loss on top of a loss yes it's interesting and i think feeling cut off um i know we've discussed this by by the window that came between us um during the last few weeks of his life and and also in a way, cut off by the care home. And I don't mean that in the derogatory way to the staff or anything, but what I mean is when when somebody dies, you have to go and collect their belongings within seven days. Mm. And ordinarily would have gone back to see the staff, but we haven't been able to do that. So you're sort of cut off by the window and you're cut off by the care home. And that builds a barrier with your grieving process. And I think that that doesn't help. So yeah, we sort of got through the first few months and the first Christmas and few more lockdowns (laughs) and we kind of got to the point where we thought we'd forgotten him in a way but also eerily still thinking that he's sitting there in his care home in that Mm. that wheelchair in his room because Mm. we hadn't seen him we still thought he was there so it was it was not what we planned really it's not it's not the exit of his life that we planned or he planned or we ever thought or ever imagined so it was it was very tricky I know you Alex so within a short space of time Talk me through also what was happening in your on your familial front. Yes, well, are you referring to my elder daughter? Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So, um, so yeah, my elder daughter, uh, well, everyone was at home. So I had both my daughters at home and, and my daughter's boyfriend. So there's five of us in the house tugging on the Wi-Fi, which was very interesting. But my elder daughter uh, was furloughed from her job, and we all know about furlough, uh, for several months. And then she was made redundant, and she's a swimwear designer. And within three weeks of being made redundant, she had turned herself around and she'd found her dream job as a swimwear designer for a prestigious company in Europe and ended up uh, moving to the Netherlands and taking taking up the, rank, the, the strain of, of that new job. So we had what I would describe a mini roller coaster of emotions within a, a bigger mini uh, mm-hmm. roller coaster, if you like. So this was the mini one. So uh, this time leaving or or something ending was was happy um mm. because we were so proud of her mm. and uh, I knew my dad would have been proud of her too and he believed in her talents and he knew that one day she would fly and I suppose 
in effect, she flew off to Amsterdam um, and literally we had to drop her off at the airport and we couldn't say goodbye other than just dropping her off. And off she went with a mask and a, two suitcases and, mm. and that was it. But that was that was very emotional. A, a time when we were emotional anyway to then have someone else leaving was like, well, so um, but yeah, it was a happy, a happy leaving. Mm. And and I think that's, I guess, what I wanted to touch on is that loss, it comes in different guises, doesn't it? Like this, you're talking of, it's a, you're losing your child in one way, but losing her to her dreams. And that that's also something that, that challenges us inside, ordinarily as a mother, but you're experiencing... You're going through your own experience as a daughter as well in your bigger picture. So it, it really, I can't imagine what that time must have been like for you. It, it was weird, but, um, you know, I was we were so proud of her. And I think I talked to you about how I felt because I was so close to my dad. You know, when he did pass away, I, I just got this real deep, heavy feeling in my heart. And it was really deep. And then as you as you get through your grief, it, that, that cavernous feeling in your heart shallows us a little bit. It never goes away, but it shallows. And I think when she went, it deepened a bit, but only momentarily. And then it shallowed again, if that, make, yeah. if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> I hear you. I know that. <laughs> it's a feeling. And sometimes, that, uh, as I touched on earlier in the preamble to our chat, is that words seem so futile to express sometimes. We just feel and you're describing your actual feeling within you. And yeah, there are no words. So you'll never do it justice, Alex. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. Oh, so a year on, where are you now in your grieving process? A year on is is really, I would say, when the anniversaries begin. Mm. Because, you know, I experienced it with my mum when she passed away and other people who've passed away that I have known. And you need to get past the first anniversary because it's your memories of this time last year, mm. this time last year, this happened, this time last year, we did that, etc. And I think we as a family have dealt with it well. But as I said, the crevice or the deepness still feels wide open. So I kind of needed and wanted a way of coping with this crevice that I'm talking about and to shallow it at the anniversary time, because I know it's really important to get over that time. Mm in order to move on. And I think it's more important this time because both my parents are gone. It's a bit like layers of an onion and suddenly you're you're the next layer. So that's when, well, we knew each other video anyway. And that's yeah. when you and I spoke and we worked on what was sort of stopping me get get through that sort of anniversary time, what was blocking me, mm. what was what was stopping me moving through that. And that's when we talked about the inevitable window <laughs> the window yeah the window <laughs> and you've already mentioned the window but yeah um... but it's that it's two things isn't it it's an actual physical window that mm. I had to look through bang on wave or sometimes it was lifted with a little bit open so my dad could hear but the window then has become something that's blocking my feelings as well so it, it's the window that I physically had to look through but that window of blocking me get through my grieving process mm. and we we did work on that window didn't we Alex yes we did <laughs> <laughs> and it was very powerful video mm. I I was um and I know you were as well it's a, it was a very moving process which I think was perfect for me mm. because I took a journey by passing that window 
which enabled me, and I've since used it, which I haven't told you about, but I have since oh. used it at times when I've needed to take that journey mm. and be the other side of the window, mm. which is where I always wanted to be. I wanted to be the other side of the window. I wanted to be next to my dad. I wanted to be holding his hand. Mm. And I couldn't because the window was in the way. But what you've taught me is to bypass that window. And now I can visualize being the other side of the window inside the room. Yeah, with your dad. And yeah. That's important to feel that access because in your mind's eye, he's always with you and there's no window. There is no window. No, <laughs> no blooming window. <laughs> yeah, we can no, laugh so, about that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is a good no. sign. It's yeah, good. it is a good sign. Yeah. It is a good sign. I just was so grateful for the opportunity actually to just help you through that, just that small bit but it feels a big bit to you. Well, you're, you're just amazing at what you do, but I just think it. I hadn't thought about, I hadn't realised that's what was halting me. I hadn't realised until you. we talked about it in more depth and then I realised that, that that's what was sort of, well, I, I can only liken it to blocking blocking mm. my, my, my pathway through my grief. Mm. You get to kind of get stuck at the same point. It's like a broken record. Mm. But now I don't have to have a broken record. I've got options and I can go round in a different direction and um, take a journey which leads me to a place I wanted to be. Oh, see, I can't add anything to that. I just, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah. Yeah, I felt that in the, in our session. I really, and I do, When whenever I help somebody, be it through grief, be it through loss, whatever it is, it's being with that person and knowing I'm with them to do what they need to do. And And you knew what you needed to do. It just wasn't obvious but you found yep. that solution for you. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch and be witness. What would you say to anyone going through grief right now? Well, um, allow yourself the time. Allow yourself to, to be in whatever situation you like. If you want to cry your eyes out, if you want to scream, whatever. You know, whatever medium helps you, you've got to let it out. Don't hold it in. I think more this time than with my mum, I have to get through it and I have to deal with it and I have to find positivity. I have to find a route out that allows me to rise up again and be strong and um, see my purpose in life, especially now, as I, I alluded to, the, the layer of the onion. Mm. So, so my parents are gone. So myself and my husband are now the next layer for my children. So I've got to take what he's taught me, the way he was loyal and strong and loving and principled and all those things. And now I know it's within me and no one can change that. And he's around me all the time. I just need to hold my head up high and move on and be extremely lucky. And I mean extremely lucky because my parents were married for 61 years that I am his daughter and I have his and my mum's blood running through my veins. And I just, I just feel extremely lucky. So he's left the legacy behind, even though he's not here. Yeah. And today, it feels poignant to say that because it's your eldest's birthday today. <laughs> so we're going to say happy birthday on the podcast today. We won't sing. Happy birthday, <laughs> Sophie Hughes. <laughs> we won't inflict a, a, a song on you, but we will recognise that it's your birthday. <laughs> happy <Yes>. birthday. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. That's very oh. kind. But I just wanted to say thank you to you, Vidya. I know these podcasts aren't about what you do, but um, I feel lucky I've met you and I really appreciate what you've done. And I now feel at peace. 
Oh, I'm so pleased that you chose to walk with me for a little bit. And I'm there for anybody, actually, who who needs that, just for a little bit. And we didn't walk long, did we, Alex? <laughs> we didn't long, walk No, we could have walked a lot longer. We could have done. But, you know, I'm there for anyone. And I, I really appreciate your sentiment and kindness, Alex. You're so, very welcome, Vivian. That's all right. And so... Today, I want to dedicate this podcast to your father, Edgar Frank Maybanks, OB. Thank you, Vidya. My pleasure. Loss and grief, it's tough for those of us left in the process. But I thought I would end this episode with some wisdom and reminders from those who are en route to their departure from this life. Bronnie Ware, a palliative care nurse, wrote a book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying where she shared those wishes of such people. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life truer to myself, not the life others expected of me. Two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I'd have stayed in touch with my friends. Five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Perhaps we as the living, even if experiencing pain, loss and grief, could endeavour instead to try to live out those last wishes in our own reality right now. It's what they would have wanted. Thank you for listening to The Choices Podcast. If you've been dealing with your own grief and need some support and a friendly ear, please send me an email to choices at vividoutcomes.co.uk. I'll catch you next week.